Well, hello, everybody. This is Tim Green with Rattle Magazine. Welcome to Rattlecast number 83. Today's guest is Anthony Tao, who is here from Beijing on the line. He'll be joining us in just a minute. But before we begin, I should say that Rattle is a publication of the Rattle Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit working to promote the practice of poetry. We've been continuous publications since 1995 and have nothing to do with any other organizations, even if they call themselves Rattle, we're not them. We're Rattle, the Rattle Foundation. And uh, we just do this because we love poetry. I know you love poetry because you're here, and I appreciate that. So please do click the like button and share and subscribe. Um, no matter where you're listening to this, it's still actually on Twitter um, through Periscope, which I was told was going to be canceled March 1st, but that's still going on. Um, if you're watching on Twitter or Periscope, please make sure to find a new way to watch because at some point they are getting rid of that uh, live streaming service. But for now, it's there. And uh, so make sure you like us there wherever you're watching this, especially YouTube. YouTube is really nice. Uh, if you're watching this after the fact, too, give us some reviews on um, iTunes or whatever you're listening to. Now, as I mentioned, today's guest is Anthony Tao, and he is joining us from Beijing, so it's the morning for him. And um, he is the author of Coronavirus in China, which was one of the first poems we published about the coronavirus over a year ago. Uh, we, I loved it so much, we nominated it for a Pushcart Prize, thought it was one of the best poems we published in all of last year. Um, but it turns out Anthony's also a really interesting guy. He uh, works for a magazine called SupChina, um, an online media company, um, sort of teaching um, English readers about what's going on in China, which is really cool. He also has a music band, Poetry X Music, uh, that, that does um, music combined with poetry. And um, here he is, Anthony Tao. Hello, Anthony. How are you doing tonight? Hello. Hi, Tim. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing great. So glad, so glad you could join us. Um, and the, and the, it's just amazing to me every time that we have someone from the other side of the world and the connection is so clear and the sound is so good. Um, yeah, so I'm so glad you could be here. Yeah, I'm really, really uh, honored to be here. Uh, thank you very much for the invite. And yes, uh, these, all these video uh, chatting soft, meeting software companies probably have had to <clears throat> tweak, tweak their products a lot in the last year. I yeah. hope they get it right. Well, it works. I just can't. Like, I'm imagining, you know, the the photons bouncing off satellites, coming all the way around the world, and there's no latency at all. It's really cool. But um, do you want to start uh, us knock out? Knock on wood. Yeah. Do you want to start us out with a poem? I shall indeed. Um, so um, <clears throat> I have a poem here called uh, "Beihai Park at Sunrise." Uh, Beihai translates literally to North Sea, and it's one of the many parks out here in, um, well, China has a lot of parks. Beijing also does. Um, and it's, uh, it, it used to be one of my favorite places to hang out. Um, and Beihai is notable because of its proximity to, um, the Forbidden City. And it was created by emperors, uh, hundreds of years, hundreds of years ago. There's this, uh, big man-made lake and that lake is the quote unquote sea in, in this in this uh, North Sea, North Sea Park at sunrise. Uh, and I, I think what's, what's best about it is, uh, are the people. And if you go in the morning, especially, uh, you'll find a lot of, uh, a lot of elderly folks who, um, whose stories are, are riveting, um, uh, for how much they've lived through. Anyway, uh, Bay High Park at sunrise. At dawn, face lines gild the lived. Can you say what shaped them? Rice wine imbibed over tiger slaughter. The east sun, palakin shade for Beijing rain or slow-moving despair. Blinking in the mist of morning, they slide against the soundtrack of history, 
friction and fog lifting like heat off Kong or last rites for ancestors who outlived revolution. Frame with your iPhone, but you'll never know what moves them, what death carts for the starved, sins stained in red armbands, auguries foretold of regret or gods, so forget asking. Here in this park, they dance to synchronize frantic and fragile heartbeats. Even yours, if you dare take their ribbon and swing it to unfurl mountains in this prosperous air. Yeah, so it's a very uh, luxurious style of poem that you write. Um, you know, Caitlin Buxbaum already pointed out the friction and fog, the soundtrack of history. Some great lines here in this poem. Um, to, to start out, do you want to tell us a little bit just about how you um, came to be in China? You grew up in Kansas. And um, what brought you out there? That's right. Um, so uh, the story of what brought me uh, back, as it were, begins a little bit earlier than that. Um, so I was born in Beijing. Uh, my family, most of my family is from Beijing. And my parents left when I was uh, two and three. My, my dad first and then, and then my mom. They were part of this uh, wave of immigrants that left China in the, in the mid-80s to pursue higher education in the U.S. And uh, so anyway, they ended up in Kansas because uh, the University of Kansas happened to be one of the only places that gave, them a, that gave both of them a full scholarship uh, just to study econ. And uh, they, they both planned to come back. Uh, my dad had like a had a very cushy government post position. In fact, um, they were both graduates of Peking University, um, famous class of '77, which was the first class to uh, start school after a 10-year moratorium after the Cultural Revolution. But it so happens that uh, in '89 Tiananmen happened, um, the Tiananmen protests, of course, and then that made them lose hope in in China. And so, as a result, instead of them coming back to me, I was sent over there. Uh, so that was in 1990. Um, I was five and a half, and uh, well, that's how I ended up in Kansas. And I, I came back. I came back in 2008 to cover the Olympics. Uh, back at that time, I was uh, I was uh, an intern at uh, ESPN the magazine. I'm sorry. You hear that cat in the background? <laughs> yeah, we see him too. Oh, you do. I, yeah. Apologies for that. Uh, he'll no, everyone everyone loves a cat. A Don't worry. <laughs> okay. Um, <clears throat> there's another one rustling plastic over there. I, I, Apologies. Um, uh, in 2008, I was uh, interning at ESPN, the magazine in New York, and um, the Olympics were happening. And I'm not sure why, but um, I, I guess I kind of know why. But it just sort of called to me. Um, that event, uh, the global significance of it, it just sort of seemed uh, like I needed to be there. And after the games were over, I, I did briefly go back to New York, but I just um, thought, you know, it was a little bit more exciting. Um, I thought uh, I could do a little bit more than just sports reporting. And so I, I went back to Beijing. Landed, in fact, on the day of Obama's inauguration in 2009. Um, I remember it very well, just going straight from the airport to a bar to watch that. And uh, yeah, never left, even though even though a lot has changed, both for me and the city in that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, and tell us a little bit about uh, SubChina, where you're the managing editor, um, and and just tell us a little bit about what what that does. I was reading a bunch of articles uh, last night from there, and really really interesting stuff and really important stuff too, because we don't like the uh, mission statement says we don't really get accurate news from um, China 
in you know in the rest of the Western world, really. Um, so so what is how did you get the job there, and, and what's the mission of of Sup China? Yeah, so um, the company is about five or six years old. Um, I've been there, I think, for the last three years, give or take, and um, we have a we have small staff. It's a it's a really just a boutique media company, uh, and it's online only. Um, but all the people involved sort of um, are very experienced. Um, I, I don't want to use the the term China watchers, but I guess a lot of us are um, just people that have made a career following China news. Um, anyway, our editorial staff is very small. It's only six, but then we have a business development side that does events and such. Um, it's led by a couple of names that everybody in the China watching circle will all recognize. Um, so our editor-in-chief is Jeremy Goldcorn, um, and then our uh, senior editor, uh, who also runs the Seneca Podcast Network, is Kaiser Guo. And they both, they're both, um, uh, I guess Jeremy is a naturalized American now. He used to, he was born in South Africa. But um, they both lived in China, in Beijing for 20 plus years, and I got to know them when they were out here. Uh, they went back to the U.S. about three or four years ago, um, and then they just they reached out one day and asked, hey, are you doing anything? Uh, and it so happened that I had just resigned from my previous job a month earlier uh, when Jeremy reached out, and so uh, they pulled me on board. And um, it's, uh, yeah, you know, the mission is sort of to tell, uh, to tell the China story, and that includes... Um, but uh, it includes all the warts, of course, um, all of the um, um, uh, it includes all the bad and then also some of the good. Uh, we try to focus, not focus, but we try to present more uh, society stories and culture stories and the, the day to day that help people understand not just um, not just what the government is doing, but also also what the people uh, what the people want. Um, and that's very hard. And that, that is, I think really important, especially, um, especially in this day and age, uh, especially in the present day when there seems to be a lot of misunderstanding and that's affecting both Chinese people in the U S and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that, uh, that warts and all that you mentioned, did you get any pushback from the Chinese government over that? The, the, you know, the uh, mission statement of SubChina talks a little bit about censorship and things. And um, and I was wondering, too, even back a year ago, um, it was February we published that poem. And it's not, you know, the warts are there, too. In uh, the, I think the fourth section of that is, is sort of all warts. And I was wondering, yeah. is there any, like, the, from the American perspective, there's a lot of censorship in China. Um, but I haven't really, you know, reading articles and getting poems from there, I don't really see a lot of it. So I, it's always a sort of a disconnect. I don't know how... How much it really is, or or how much do do you think about that at all as you publish articles and poems, or is it not something that you worry about? <clears throat> uh, so censorship is a big topic. Um, I personally, uh, I I don't think about that. That's not on my mind as I'm working. Uh, a few reasons. Um, one, because my work is in English, and I just don't think they care that much about uh, English language um, works of any kind. Uh, they really only pay attention once it begins circulating um, domestically. Uh, occasionally it happens, but um, SubChina is blocked. Uh, the website is blocked. We've been blocked for the last couple years. Oh, uh, is it? Okay. Yeah, it happened, uh, it happened just before uh, the anniversary of Tiananmen a couple years ago. Um, so June 2nd or 3rd is when it actually got blocked. Um, 
uh, it, it was actually a relief. And, and in a sense, it was a compliment because in China, you're not allowed to be too real, uh, especially with news reporting. Um, you have to tow the party line. Uh, it, it, censorship works in a, in a uh, I, I don't know how familiar Americans are with the system here, but uh, it relies on self-censorship. The, the government really puts the onus on the publications themselves. It's basically, if you cross the line, they'll let you know about it. If you cross the line three times, they'll take away your ability to do that business. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, anyway, we, uh, they, we didn't get a warning. We, we have no idea who to contact about that. They just blocked us right away, um, which is fine. You know, The New York Times is blocked. Uh, mm-hmm. BBC now, uh, a lot of good publications are. Um, um, but, you know, censorship is something that uh, local writers, creators, artists, musicians grapple with all the time. And um, it's very complicated. In a sense, a lot of them have figured it out. They know what they can write about. They know, um, they know the line. Um, the bold ones walk right up to it. And then some of them cross it, of course. Um, um, I think it's unfortunate that that because of the system in place, it seems like a lot of the Chinese authors who do get attention, who get platformed in the West, only do so because they are quote-unquote banned or because their material is considered sensitive, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I think there's a lot of good writers that we do never hear about. Um, um, but... Um, yeah, uh, but- I, yeah, it's interesting to me, too, because there's there's so much actual narrative control here in the United States, too, but it's just done a different way, and that people are sort of marginalized and, and distanced and not given platforms and sort of mocked and things. Um, I was just reading a poem by um, Peter Dale Scott, who is a poet who wrote um, a lot of extremely political work, and he um, invented the phrase deep state and things like that. And he's, you know, a Berkeley professor, attacks the government his entire life. He's like 92 years old. And just most people don't know who he is, you know. And um, it's because he doesn't get any attention or publicity, really. Um, and, and I wonder if it's... Um, like, I, like, it seems like people in the United States are not really aware of the way um, censorship works here. Um, are, are people in China aware of it? And, and does that make them more sort of harder to censor in a weird way? That's just something I've always wondered about. Um, you know, if you asked me this question 10 years ago, five years ago, I would have said yes. Perhaps uh, they know the workarounds, right? There's a, <clears throat> there's a Chinese saying, it's uh, millennia old, that um, um, <clears throat> that that top heaven has their policies, uh, but, but the bottom, the people have their workarounds. Um, and, uh, it's, it's this, this cat and mouse game have been, has been going on for, again, for, for centuries, uh, for 2000, 3000 Chinese would say 5,000 years. Um, um, as far as, but, but the situation has changed, I think, for the worse, uh, dramatically and very noticeably in the last five years. Um, they have really tightened the screws on the censorship apparatus to the point that it is incredibly hard. It is really, really hard to get anything out there. Um, you know, you know, back five years ago, or give or take, um, all of these new uh, social media platforms were coming up uh, you might have heard of Weibo, which was uh, which is kind of like 
uh, Chinese Twitter, but it's a little bit more dynamic. You can you get more characters and and all that. Uh, anyway, Weibo seemed to be a game changer when it first uh, first appeared because that was a space where people could um, could could discuss things. It, it was where they could uh, sort of have dialogue and and kind of expect that censors wouldn't get to get around to it or that the yeah, or that, that basically the human censors wouldn't get around to it. But since then, these technology companies have developed algorithms at the behest of the government, so that uh, if you have just if you just mention certain keywords, uh, no one will ever see your message. Um, you might have heard uh, just a couple weeks ago, Clubhouse was blocked. Um, Clubhouse I didn't know that, lived. Ah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Clubhouse lived for about uh, in China. It was popular for about a week or two max. And then there was a there was a room that was created called um, Are There Concentration Camps in Xinjiang? And it was a monumental room in many ways. Uh, there, there were 4,000 people in that room listening to uh, people talk about, discuss this question. And a lot of, uh, a lot of the moderators were Uyghurs and Kazakhs uh, who shared their experience. And as a result, a lot of Han Chinese um, got to commiserate and express their sympathy. And it was wonderful. And that happened on a Saturday. On Monday, the app was locked. <laughs> oh, wow. Or maybe it was even the day after, right? Um, so, um, you know, all I can say is we're, we're trying. Um, we all, we, we try to find ways. Um, yeah, I used to work for a bookstore here uh, called The Bookworm. Um, iconic, iconic space. It was a nexus of intellectual life for both locals and foreigners. It was around for about 12 years. Uh, and it shut down in November of 2019 um, for different reasons. It, it wasn't as if the government told them they had to shut down, but they certainly didn't offer them any help. And I remember during the literary festivals that we um, that we hosted, um, uh, it it did get we did feel authorities were watching us closer and closer. Um, and uh, in the end, uh, well. One of the last vessels that we held, um, our boss was asked to go to this uh, police station two hours outside of the city. Uh, it, it wasn't detention or anything. They just said, hey, um, we, we need to see your papers. Uh, come to this location at this time. As he went there, and they made him wait for a few hours, took his whole day, paid uh, a, a uh, fire code violation fine. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then, you know, we sort of all know why. Uh, mm -hmm. but, uh, stuff like that. That. Yeah, um, Richard it's Westheimer. Not uncommon. Yeah, yeah. Richard Westheimer asks if um, if your poetry is censored in China too. Is is that blocked too? Like if if people went to read you know your poem coronavirus in China um, at rattle dot com, would that be blocked or uh, or is your website so, blocked? Um, no. So and that's only because uh, so my website, my personal website, so just anthonytow dot com. Um, it's all in English uh, and it's not. Uh, you know, it's it's not hosted in China. Mm -hmm. If I tried to create a microblog uh, on, you know, Sina Weibo or whatever, mm -hmm. it, I don't think it would last very long. I don't know. It, it might. Uh, again, there's no Chinese on it, so it's possible that they haven't put those English words in the system, in the mm -hmm. algorithm, right? That's possible. Um, uh, WeChat is another matter altogether. They do they do they do uh, filter English words on on WeChat's publishing platform, but. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, so my website's not blocked, just uh, not big enough. And uh, Rattle, Rattle is not blocked, um, <laughs> I can say. Um, yeah. uh, well, let's, uh, let's do some more poems. Do you want to read, uh, I think Food Dog is the next one you had. Yes. Um, so Food Dog, um, sort of on the same theme of, um, of uh, just, I, I guess it's an expression of my admiration of um, 
people, the people, the older generation here. Um, I have a bunch of poems for whatever reason that sort of tried to um, tried to see things through some of the older Chinese. Um, and it's this idea that uh, they've experienced so much, you know, um, uh, wars and, of course, the Cultural Revolution and then uh, the reform and opening that turned everything upside down. Uh, a lot of people actually still have nostalgia for the era, um, for, the, for, well, for, the, for the Mao era, for the height of the Mao era, because, was just, because everyone was sort of in it together. You know, they were all poor together. They were struggling together. Uh, the ones that weren't <laughs> starving, that is. Uh, and um, that everyone was kind. There, there was no corruption. Um, I overheard someone at the post office the other day sort of rant about people these days. And um, uh, sorry, not at the post office. I think at the uh, at the bank. And I, I got the sense that he was swindled. You know, poor guy uh, in his 60s or something. Anyway, um, there's also this idea in um, in some of these in some of my poems that um, that these people have experienced so much, uh, and they all sort of know what they went through. That um, even if you asked them, even if you wanted them to tell you, uh, you wouldn't really exactly understand. So I do try to write from their perspective, but also it's very clear that I'm an outsider. Anyway, uh, food dog. Chinese our age have lived three lives, like stages of a storm, temper and fury before water and clemency, forgiveness. We dug and scrubbed with dirt for the privilege of claiming the yellow earth of our nation, carving our name according to the oracle. We washed memories with the faces of children who have flown to corners of their remarkable futures leaving us Pekingese, Shih Tzu, Poodle, dogs of fortune, companions till death. Then there are the others, those amongst us, sensitive and bold, who still nurse an unflappable sense of duty, conviction in the future, which is to say, in themselves. They walk the marble-eyed retriever, golden as spring sun. Excellent. That was Foo Dog. Um, we talked about, about the censorship stuff in China, but maybe we should mention, because a few people have asked, um, sort of referenced already, that you're, that you're doing events. And, um, and so, so you host an open mic there. And is it, is it monthly, a monthly open mic? That's right. That's right. Yeah, yes, but but most is, of our is. viewers, yeah, will be shocked to know that it's been live since <laughs> like May or or April last year or something, right? <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. We've had a different experience with coronavirus. Um, obviously, it began here, and uh, we got it really early. Um, we were all sort of self quarantining. Um, uh, people naturally did it. I think. Uh, I think they still remembered what SARS was like uh, back. Um, you know, only 17 years ago, as it were, uh, 16 years ago. Um, and so for the months of uh, February, in Beijing, first it was Wuhan, and then in Beijing, uh, in February, everybody just stayed inside. And it wasn't a hard lockdown. Um, uh, some residential compounds did institute that, but I, for instance, could still go out to the grocery market, grocery store, and there were a couple cafes that stayed open that entire time. Um, and then... Um, 
And then by March, people were out in the parks. By April and May, things were back normal. And and yeah, we've uh, um, we were uh, hosting events again, um, live events. Um, so this poetry event, um, it's called uh, Spittoon. Um, it was founded five years ago, almost five years ago now, by a British guy named uh, Matthew Byrne. He he left for he left to go back to Congleton, England, um, uh, last June. But um, uh, Spittoon has been going on. It's uh, it's had a poetry night every single month for five years. Uh, when Matt left, I took over as the host. But uh, Spittoon also does a, a monthly fiction night and a monthly storytelling night. Um, we have a book club. Um, it has a uh, uh, now there's nonfiction and um, um, yeah, is it, it's, uh, is it's it all just in this English or is it, is it bilingual? It's mostly English. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, most of the events are in English. We do have a magazine as well, a quarterly. Uh, well, it's, now it's more of a biannual. But um, uh, that one, for that one, we only take submissions um, from Chinese, from local authors, and then we translate it to English. So it's a bilingual magazine. Uh, that's been going on for a few years. Um, Simon Shea is the editor-in-chief of that. Simon and Shelley. Um, I don't know if they're in the chat here. But... Um, yeah, it's a, so it's a literary and arts collective, uh, I guess is the best way yeah, to describe it. Yeah, that's really cool. And how big is like the, the audience for, for poetry in English in China? I wanted to ask about poetry in Chinese as well. I'm, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I'm always just curious about what you know, the world, you know, the poetry world is like in other countries. Um, mm-hmm. so, so is there a big audience in Beijing for English language poetry, first of all? And then what's the, this, the poetry situation like in China just in general in, in, in Chinese? Yeah, um, uh, the scene is okay. Um, the foreigner community has been dwindling for the last, uh, I don't know, uh, I, we like to say the great exodus really began about five or six years ago, and it's been, um, um, it's, it's been getting those smaller, and of course, of course, you know, COVID took a huge chunk of people away. Um, but uh, funny enough, the poetry attendance, the attendance at the poetry nights since um, for maybe the last year, uh, basically since we came back from COVID has been very healthy. We've had, uh, you know, our room's not small. Uh, it has maybe 20, 30 seats or so and then a small standing room, a space for people to stand. But it's been packed every single time. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I'm not really sure why. Um, yeah, that's interesting because, you know, maybe, if you went to a poetry reading here, you probably wouldn't get a crowd that big. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. Um, uh, well, um, yeah, yeah. I, I haven't been to a, a an open mic in the U.S. in so long. You know, it's, I can't remember the last one I went to actually. Um, but um, uh, what did I want to say? Um, uh, you know, I do find I do notice that in our audience there are more local faces. You know, Chinese people, and obviously all of them, a lot of them speak English very well, or at least they can, at least they can understand. Right. Um, and we've always tried to promote uh, a bilingual aspect of it. Uh, we don't do it now as much as a regular feature, but back then we, uh, always tried to get a poet, a poem read in translation or a poem read first in a different language. And then someone else would read it in English. Uh, sometimes it'd be Chinese and sometimes, you know, be a different language. Uh, um, it, so uh, for the community, for the foreign community, I think it's it's relatively healthy. It's still small, though, in mm-hmm. absolute terms. Um, as as far as the local poetry scene, um, you know, um, uh, poetry is an exalted art 
here in China that the country has a very proud tradition of it. Uh, school kids memorize poems when they're in kindergarten, starting from kindergarten, first grade, uh, all of these classics uh, from the Song Dynasty and the Tang Dynasty. Mm-hmm. And back then, they really were, a lot of them were just songs, right? Um, and so people hold it in reverence. But, um, but a lot of the poetry that's being written now are online poems. Um, there's a specific term for it, uh, and I'm not sure how it's translated, but basically... Uh, Basically, uh, you know, th- I think the poets that you might hear about are uh, that you might have heard about in the news are migrant migrant workers who write poetry, hmm. right? Um, and they um, and I know a lot of your guests in just the past month have talked about the purpose of poetry and how um, it's a tool. Uh, it, it's it's something that can contain our feelings, our emotions. It's something that um, it's vital to to expression, to who we are. It's uh, it can be a way for us to express what we normally otherwise can't. You know, I try to picture what it's like to work at Foxconn, for instance, just on the assembly line and doing these rote mechanic, mechanical actions, performing that for eight hours a day, sometimes more, at the assembly line. Uh, what can you do to reclaim a part of your sense of human mm-hmm. um, uh, poetry? You know, that's that's the answer. Um, but uh, but I think I think the scene I think I think in China people grapple with a lot of the same issues that they do in the U.S., um, which is what is the purpose? What 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 is academic poetry these days? You know, mm-hmm. um, how do you how do you <clears throat> reconcile the fact that a lot of um, what is popular? isn't recognizable it, it isn't um <clears throat> isn't recognized i should say mm-hmm. by the people in charge um and uh you know there's there all these very official writers associations here um in the same are, way are there, I, uh, I think they sort of are... yeah where where would they be published uh, are there other poems published in newspapers um are they other literary magazines um how, how does it um, there are the status of lit mags here is comparable to the status of lit mags in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So um, there aren't that many that are really big. I don't know. In fact, um, I should check uh, what what is the rattle of <laughs> China. Um, what what I will say uh, the scene in the U.S. seems healthier in that there are many more uh, publications. There are many more lit mags. I think there are many more people who are enthusiastic about being in this uh, despite the pay or lack thereof, you know, mm-hmm. just doing it out of passion. Um, I don't know a lot of people here that have that time, uh, energy to, to, um, to, to create these platforms. But, um, um, uh, yeah, uh, lit mags, there are some, uh, but most of it, most of it is just online. There are these huge websites, uh, with, you know, text all over, <laughs> you go on the front page and mm-hmm. you're bombarded with text and you don't really know where to look. But just a matter of scale, you know, you have something like that, even though everything is sort of minimized um, because there's so many people here that you can get, uh, you can still get a few thousand, 10,000 views on your stuff, if, mm-hmm. you know, as long as it's just on that front page. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to, this is all interesting to talk about, but I want to keep on your poems. Do you want to, um, next up we were going to do, I think, In the Air, which is um, a, um, a video that you made a music video um, for part of a uh, coronavirus in China. And um, 
Oh, I think you might have froze. Are you still? Oh, there you are. Um, so <clears throat> do you want to just explain a little bit about what... Th- that was one of the things that was interesting when I looked more into you after we published that poem, that you do this poetry um, X music with uh, Leanne Halton. And um, can you tell me a little bit about, about what you're doing with that? And you know, how does how did the band come together and, and what, what it is that you're doing, first of all? And then we'll play this video. Right. Um, so this collaboration started a couple years ago. Um, one of the sp- one of the stages from Spittoon actually is uh, something called Spittoons, um, where uh, so Matt was also a, a drummer, and so he wanted to get give poets here a bigger stage, and so he puts them with uh, musicians, and uh, and then and then we do a show, um, and the format normally is the musician gets ten minutes, the poet gets ten minutes, and then you come together for a ten minute piece that you've worked on together. Uh, but Leanne and I, uh, anyways, I was introduced to uh, to Leanne Halton, who um, is a classical guitarist. Uh, she plays a classical guitar, and um, we found pretty early that uh, the themes of our works sort of layered very well, um, and and that uh, there were spots where you know if you just if you played my poetry with her music, just played together, it seems like they would weave in and out is like a braid you know uh sometimes the words would come out on top and sometimes the music uh and so we just decided to do a just do a set where um uh we just put everything together um and that's how it began we uh so you know in the in the um in the photo i saw that you used the cover for the last tribe on earth which is our first album actually oh, is it? Okay. and then we worked on the second one um based off the poems that were published in rattle the coronavirus series um, and I think the video that you're about to play is uh, a music video that's, that a friend of ours, Nina DeLenz, made for us from one of those tracks. Um, uh, yeah, called "In the Air." Our footage from Beijing during during that time. Yeah, very cool. Well, let me uh, I'll set this up and we'll play it right now. Let's see. It might take a second though to get everything aligned. No problem. And the band was relatively recent. Um, yeah, at the start, it was just Leanne and myself, and then we added a bassist and uh, a drummer and um, a uh, jazz pianist. <laughs> good. Well, it's good to go. You're not going to be able to hear this, so it's just going to be silent for two minutes until uh, until it's over. But uh, but everyone else at home will be listening and watching. Okay, I'll sit back. <laughs> Searching for provocation, gauging interest down to conjunctiva. We experimented with sounds, soughing and snuffling, and remembered the lessons our cats and dogs had taught. Ears back, head tilted. We were polite to those we did not care for, widening our expressions, softening our brows to say we understand the feeling. But occasionally, next to a body we leaned toward, we grimaced with yearning, with agony and despair that we could not rip off these masks and laugh at our 
our poor nerves aflutter. Our gazes settle on cloud shadow and withy, old tiles on rooftops, and dragon wings rippling the pale blue. We saw the ways we merge with the world, with the air, taking into our lungs the trees, the purslane in pavement, the rewards for being who we are. Magic, we said to ourselves, forgetting what we were afraid of. And that was In the Air, poem by Anthony Tao, music by uh, Leanne Halton. Um, I can't keep up with the with the credits, but um, everybody can find this at um, Poetry X Music. Um, so go subscribe and like this video. That's just amazing, Anthony. I loved every um, every every element of that. It's just so cool, um, from the music and, and the the video itself and, and the way it works together with the poem. Um, how do you go about combining music and poetry, and and how do you think that they're related? Like, what do you think? One thing that I sort of love about poems is that they're so removed from everything else that they're so pure and, and it's just the words on the page and sort of you but then when you add music it sort of adds totally different elements um so how do you how do you think about how music and poetry fits together and, and how do you work these things to make songs out of poems um actually you know uh last month dana joa uh did you know he's also done poetry with music yeah, yeah, I have. There's a whole, um, we were thinking about doing a music poetry issue. We did a slam issue um, like 12 or 15 years ago with a CD in the back. And we were thinking about doing something similar, maybe with MP3s or something with them, music and poetry together. But but yeah, and like in a whole bunch of people do it. Um, and it's interesting. It's a, it's a fusion though. Like there's a different way that it's functioning, I think. Um, speaking of like the use of yeah. poetry. Yeah. 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 Well, um, also what Dana does, he... Um of course, he has his poems sung by a professional singer. And I've always said if I could sing, I would just do that. I would write songs instead of poems, perhaps. But, um, I, you know, poetry at the very beginning was just song, right? Um, I think it lends itself very well to music. And it's in different styles. Uh, well, I should say different styles of poetry lend itself to different types of music. And... Um, it's just so happened that mine, uh, the rhythm that I that I use, um, happens to line up very well with Leanne's classical guitar. Um, I think that was just very serendipitous that it happened that way. Um, uh, I think um, I think also just through the process, I ha- got a much keener sense of how poetry should sound. I was never somebody. Um, who paid much attention to to the sound of the voice uh, of the presentation while I was up there reading? Um, and in fact, like most people, I hated the sounds of my voice for a very long time. And then just throughout the process, you kind of figure out exactly um, 
the, the music really makes you pay attention to, to rhythm and where the beats should fall and how it can how it how it can sort of fit together you know um and now when i'm writing it, it the, the whole exercise in fact has been incredibly useful for the writing process because you sort of now i sort of have this beat in my head and you have a much clearer sense of where i should put words and maybe where i should put a pause um where the line should break um all of that uh, but uh, you know when we put these things together when we put the songs and the poems together we also pay attention to places where the words and the music can sort of latch, latch onto one another. Um, and, and again, in some places, we kind of want the music to, to lead. And in other places, uh, Leanne is sort of listening for specific words to know, oh, this is where I need to be here and there. Um, it's a bit different with the band because uh, it's a little bit more rigid. Uh, the other musicians uh, have to count. They can't really rely on listening and... and uh, that has been quite the experience as well. Uh, what do you want to do next? Do you want to um, do you want to do Christmas um, Christmas alla Romana? Well, um, so Christmas alla so yeah, the recording I sent you is a uh, is the recording with the full band. I mean, actually, I'm thinking maybe maybe we can leave that for the end. Um, okay, yeah, sure. Maybe as an outro or something yeah, you like know, that. Yeah, I'll I'll, uh, I'll play that as. Um, as I'm getting stuff ready for the open mic, which I should say two things. I, I've sort of been so engrossed in talking to you about stuff that I forgot to say there's an open mic the second hour of the show. So if anybody would like to participate, please do. Um, how it works is you send a poem to open mic at rattle.com right now. So I have it to put on screen. Um, then you can call in. I'll put up the numbers later. Uh, but in the transition, let's do that. That's a great idea. I'll play that in the transition. Um, so, so what do you want to do next instead? Do you want to do um, Angie prepares to play? Yeah, let's let's do that one. Um, this one is a uh, is purely a poem. Uh, it was written a few years back, actually. Um, it hasn't been published yet, but um, it was something that I went back to after I began working Leanne, and I sort of I, I edited it so that it was it became a little bit more musical, and hopefully uh, through this reading I can um, demonstrate what what kind of I mean by that. Um, and so, uh, so just a quick background, uh, Anya, uh, was, uh, the, was the, um, she was the concert master of my high school's orchestra back when she was a senior and I was a junior and in our last concert, our final concert, her last concert, I remember this really well. I, I played the violin. I sat in the very back, but I could see her in the very front, just under this bright white light and these little motes of dust around her hair. It's very cinematic. And there was a moment just before she began uh, Symphony Espanol that uh, just a moment that I, I, I wanted to crystallize. And that's kind of how the poem begins. Um, and, uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, do you want me to f um, play a little bit of the, the, audio, the, the music first? Yes. So if you could just play the first 15 seconds to give mm -hmm. listeners who haven't heard Symphony Espanol a, a sense of uh, just the power uh, of that piece. Yeah, yeah, we'll do. Here we go. This is a uh, Symphony Espanol. And again, you can't hear it. <laughs> and that was the, the first uh, 15 or more minutes or seconds of that. Anya prepares to play Symphony Espanol. Shadows compass her in obeisance. 
breath waits for signal. We will never be the same. We were never the same. Convergence, air, the simple chemistry of matter and attraction. Like in Mr. Murray's class, the gray-haired teacher explaining common phenomenons, how two decades will disappear while she stands yet, compassed in shadow, steadfast, same as ever and never again. I have known love. I have known regret. I have known reason. Yet still she stands in that ever same starlit shade of onyx, the Shawnee Mission South ensemble shifting in its skin before yielding to silence, the only herald that a fire of sound and rosin would sear us to oblivion. Nothing stays the same. Upon a lifted bow, she grins before detonation, sending us to abeyance, errant, ardent, destroying all we know again and again about the demands of hereafter. We should have relished the hot blush, the evanescence of teenage flirtation, but dumb as we were, deaf like the angels, of course we were blindsided by the unforgettable. Will we know that feeling again? And that was Anya prepares to play Symphony Espanol. Um, I, sh I also forgot to mention that we have um, take questions. So if anybody has any questions for Anthony, I'm happy to pass them along. Um, but one thing I was wondering earlier as you were talking about just your history and, and what you've been doing is, is how you fell into writing poetry in the first place. You mentioned um, doing journalism mostly, you know, the Olympics and things like that. But here, this was, was this high school, I, I assumed? That was high school, yes. Yeah, so, um, so was it in high school that you were um, trying to distill moments in poems? Is that, or is this like looking back later? Uh, so that poem was looking back a little bit later, but I, I did start. I did start in high school. Um, uh, I, I guess uh, as most as most people do, um, just writing in class. I remember um, um, this is just in a public school in Kansas, um, and I just remember enjoying it. Um, yeah, as as most people, I, I also wrote prose, uh, but I found that the the pace of poetry was a little bit more suited to me. Um, it was in college that I really began to understand, I think, that, uh, that, that poetry was, could also just be pleasurable, you know? Um, I remember between English assignments, going to the library, and, uh, uh I, I actually, I remember it very well. My first collection, my first, uh, book that I actually bought was, uh, Virginia Hamilton Adair. Mm. Um, I think she has three books, um, but Ants on the Melon which is how I started. It's just very simple, you know? Um, but that kind of put me down on this path. And I, I never, you know, I never got into, I applied, but I didn't get into the creative writing program in college. Um, uh, so I never had any formal study in poetry, you know? Um, uh, I didn't really consider doing an MFA, going to grad school for it afterwards. It was just uh, through observation and just doing it uh, here and there. Um, that I, I picked up on, on more of it. I, I actually wish, you know, uh, the process of learning how to make poetry, uh, decent or passable, um, 
could have been sped up quite a bit if I did have a little teaching, if I did uh, do a class here and there. But uh, anyway, uh, it, it all has led to, to, to this where I am now. Um, Kim Tedro asks, um, if you grew up bilingual or is English or Chinese a first language? And, um, and how do the many differences between the two feed your work? Um, and then as a follow-up question, do you dream in English, Chinese, or both? Right. Um, so Chinese was my first language, but I very much consider English my mother tongue. Uh, when you leave at five and a half, it's still, it's, it's very early. The only, um, the thing that I retain the best about Chinese is uh, the uh, ear for it. So I can actually pick up on, on dialects and accents. Uh, where a lot of foreigners can't. But when I came back to Beijing, I had to, I had, I had to, I had to take classes in Chinese. I had to relearn a lot of it. I had to learn how to read it. Um, uh, I, I still don't write, uh, handwrite very well, but it's, uh, that's the case with a lot of local Chinese people as well. Uh, they've forgotten a lot of how to handwrite characters. Um, I, I mostly dream in English. Um, although the Chinese, you know, it's... Um, I, I actually I took a couple classes in Chinese poetry, and I really loved it because because a character can say so much more than than a word or or a letter. Um, they're pictograms, and and if you really do understand and understand if you understood not just the language but also the history, um, you can you can really you can really get deep with it and and fall in love with it and go down these rabbit holes. And the next thing you know, you're a penniless classical Chinese professor somewhere. <laughs> yeah, uh, I was wondering about that because it, it struck me as um, that the pictogramic nature of um, the language makes it almost like the um, etymologies on the surface. You know, like you can look up where words came from and have that kind of layered aspect in English, but it's sort of built right into the to the picture, right? In uh, in Chinese poetry, so is that that's like a, another layer as you read? Is it? Is there like ways that it, illusions appear and things like that that you can't couldn't possibly translate? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you said something in a in a previous episode. Um, I don't want to misquote you, but you said how uh, I think you're talking to, to actually you were talking to uh, Dana about this how reading. Um, how the reading experience for you, reading to yourself, uh, is uh, can be can feel more dynamic, uh, and um, and I feel that's very much true for Chinese because you have these characters that are created with other characters, these compound characters, right? Uh, to say nothing of words, which are multiple characters, but uh, within one character, you can have three different ones, uh, all these layers of meaning, and yet if you read it out loud, it would just be one syllable. Mm. Um, uh, I'm sorry, I, I can't remember what your question was. So. <laughs> no, well, you did a good job of, uh, of, of, I mean, I was just talking about that, about how the, how the history is sort of embedded in the, in the yes, physical yes, yes. language itself, which is just such an interesting thing that you can't do. And in the same way too, like in, um, like the haiku tradition, you can't get through those books of, um, seasons and how everything relates together unless you study it that way, you know, and, there's just layers that you can't replicate in uh, in other languages, which just seems fascinating yeah. to me. Yeah, yeah, and um, you know, I'm not a professional. Uh, obviously, I'm not a professional translator. Um, but the the task of translating Chinese poetry to me just feels like an exercise in failure uh, because uh, I don't know. 
because you would lose so much. And for poetry, it's all about the economy of language. And yet it seems like if you were translating Chinese poetry, you'd always be tempted to, to make these footnotes here and there. Yeah. yeah. Um, I actually, I, there's a book that I really want to recommend. Um, it's called 19 Ways of Looking at Wang Wei. Um, and uh, it's, it's just one poem, one short poem by this classical Chinese poet named Wang Wei, but translated many different ways. Uh, 19 different ways, in fact, by different translators. And it, it's really interesting to see how they approach it, uh, what words they add and which ones they take out. Um, well, let's hear another poem, and then we'll do kind of a lightning round of a few questions from the audience. Uh, what do you want to read next? Okay. Um, so it, it does seem like we've, we're a little bit behind. So, um, actually, uh, uh, let me see. Let me see. Like, well, if you're in no uh, rush, we can go over. I'm not, I'm not in any rush. Okay. Um, well, I, I'll read one that has Chinese in it. Um, yeah, that'd be great. So over, uh, so last summer, um, last July, 2020, I uh, took a motorbike trip with uh, with a friend, um, Mass Vesteragder Nielsen, Danish friend, and we uh, motorbiked from Xi'an to uh, to Dunhuang, so through the through the northwest province of Gansu. Uh, we began in Xi'an and. Um, uh, that's where I wrote this poem called In Xi'an During Black Lives Matter Protests. The street artist might have just returned from the mountains after five years, survived sticking his head into the maw of inspiration, eager to share all he'd learned. Westerners only see linear, he said, Newtonian, point A to B to C. Unlike us, we are a people without creation myth or belief. Silver hair sprouted on his head, strands shocked in place by lightning, molded by wind, eyes vulpine, waving a black brush, he preached. Of people, it is hardest to draw hands, of trees, the willows, of horses, their gait, of beasts, the dog. Hua ren nan hua shou, hua shu nan hua liu. Some dedicate their whole lives to capturing the world as it spins, retreating to higher perspectives until the horizon bends, circles form. In Ocean Away, Americans were fighting for equity, justice. They believed their steps led forward toward a future that could yet be determined. Excellent. That was uh, Xi'an during the Black Lives Matter protests. Um, let's do let's ask a couple of questions sort of quick. Um, first of all, um, let me find them again. So, so um, Caitlin Buck's mom wants to know about your favorite writers and Ultimate Frisbee. I don't know why Ultimate Frisbee. Are you an Ultimate huh. Frisbee player? <laughs> uh, I am. I am. I, I, I suffered this calf injury last fall and I haven't been able to play since, but uh, yeah, frisbee. I, I've been, I've played frisbee for uh, more than half of my life, actually, for twenty years. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah, Caitlin, uh, if you if you play, uh, yeah, just uh, I'll chat you I'll chat with you about it later. <laughs> um, as far as favorite writers, um, you know, I, I was just ta- mentioning this to you a bit earlier that it's just really hard to get poetry poems out here in China. I, I like the feel of poems. Um, and I know we can get it from, you know, just get uh, PDFs or whatever these days, um, Kindle or whatever. But um, 
I, I like holding a book. I like the fact that if you sit down with poems, um, you can be absorbed into the poet's world and the world that the poetry creates. Um, and I think we need that. We need to disconnect sometimes. Uh, as being on a computer on devices, it's very easy to be distracted. Um, uh, and because of coronavirus, I haven't been able to go back to Kansas uh, in about a year and a half due the travel restrictions and all that. So I haven't been able to replenish my poetry collection. Um, but, uh, but otherwise what I, you know, what I would be buying is, uh, um, well, I recently got your book. Um, I recently purchased a couple of books from, uh, uh, oh shoot, this is bad. I, now I, her name is suddenly blanking. Allison, uh, your recent guest, uh, Townsend. Uh, or, yes, Allison Townsend. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Uh, I'll be looking at Rebecca Sparks as well. But um, uh, my favorite poets, uh, probably, probably, um, I would say uh, Stephen Dunn is a favorite of mine. I've read almost all of his stuff. Um, um, Stephen Dunn, Sharon Olds is another one that I really like. Uh, Linda Pastan. Um, um, uh, uh, who, a lot of these poets I, I read so long ago. Um, oh, shoot. I'm blanking on a name. Blanking on a name. Uh, oh, a, uh, Hoagland. Hoagland. Oh, yes, yeah. Who, who, wrote the, who wrote a beautiful essay about if, you know, why poetry, poetry can matter and all that in the Atlantic, I believe it was. Yeah. yeah um, let's see. So Judith Wang says, um, or asks, oh, where'd it go? She asks, oh, who is your favorite trashy band? And that's another thing that I wonder if maybe is a um, some inside thing. <laughs> Your favorite trashy uh, band. <laughs> My favorite trashy band. Uh, it, <laughs> uh, there's a punk band out here called The Ravages. Uh, try to Google that. Uh, they're, they're cutting their first album, actually. Um, yeah, I don't know. How do you define trashy? I, I'm not really sure. Yeah, I'm not really sure either. Maybe... maybe pop i assumed because i'm so ignorant of music i assumed it was a genre that i wasn't familiar with like grunge or something um so i don't know i guess maybe uh, like a guilty pleasure uh, that might be the essence of the question i, um, I you know I, I like pop music i don't know <laughs> <laughs> uh we hear we're exposed to pop music american pop music all the time here out in the clubs and stuff so uh, so Richard Westheimer asks them um, do the translations of older chinese poets like rex ross translations do them justice it's an interesting question. I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure. Um, I, I, when I read, I, so I mostly read in English. Um, I've read some Chinese poetry, especially the classics, but um, it's really hard to know. Uh, I, I think um, it almost becomes something entirely different. You're almost reading the translator's work uh, instead of the, the original. So. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I you can know. find good ones. Yeah, translation is such an interesting. Have you ever thought about translating? Or um... yeah, I've I, I've dabbled in it. Um, um, it takes a lot of time, of course. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's do a couple more poems. I think the next two you had relate. Maybe read them back to back. Uh, sure. Um, I actually, the, the uh, two road trip ones, I think. Ah, uh, sorry. Uh, I did. Uh, so the CN one was was one of them, and then the other one is the other one. Uh, you think I have. I think, yeah, I think they're, um, I think we'll probably have to skip one of these. Um, you know, uh, 
let's see, let's see. Uh, I'll do this one, and then maybe we can skip Veld Spore, which is more about life for expats in Beijing. Uh, no one needs to know about that just yet. Okay, uh, just one more um, from the road trip. This one is called, uh, it's, it's a fun one. It's called uh, All the Ways One Can Die on a Chinese Highway. In Shanxi, falling rocks. In Henan, loose cargo. In Guizhou, landslides. In Shandong, road rage. In Sichuan, villagers leave the scraps of totaled vehicles on the mountain roads as a warning. In Qinghai, the yak have right of way. In Guangdong, the night feels like a bandit. A hawker walks against traffic, pushing a cart. Dogs cross as if the road were a yard. Trucks transport soil, overloaded. Potholes, slickness, the wet. Mud roads softened by rain, red clay, buses in the bike lane, tankers, walls of steel, gravel shot out of their back wheels, the hot wind, the blanket cold. On our motorbike, we read propaganda painted on the bridges carved onto the hills. We look at scenery, at the polluted river, the shaved escarpment, the wild dips and rolls the terraces, terraformed earth, the alien archways supporting railroads, overpasses, the dinosaurs, water buffaloes, rainbow sandstone, the ghost towns and abandoned communes, the plastic cops three meters tall holding signs reading slow, the bedecked Lama temple shining on a rock face, the mosque in the mist, the many temples, where people ask for protection, where they pray, please, please don't let me die on the highway today. That was all the ways one can die on a Chinese highway. Um, uh, people are asking uh, on both. They're saying, "Don't skip poems." They want, they want, uh-huh. they want more poems. Um, do you want to just like get through? I don't know how much time you have. Do you want to get through the last two? So I have, I have plenty of time. I know people are probably waiting for the uh, open mic, but um, sure, I, I, I would be happy to. Okay, um, let's just So real quick, okay, yeah. so, um, so this one, uh, just really quick, I'll intro it. Um, uh, a few weeks ago after a show, um, I was standing outside with Leanne, and uh, she's from South Africa, and uh, she's the South African in this poem, but she, uh, she said that she sees Beijing as basically a concrete jungle, uh, I'm paraphrasing her, and it reminds her in some ways, in a very different way, of um, of South Africa and of specifically the veld, which is uh, you know the the grasslands of South Africa. And she gave me this other word, spore, s p o o r, which means uh, in verb form it means to track the scent of animals, spore animals, spore you know mm-hmm. prey. So this one is called veld spore. Night falls on the Beijing veld, cover thrown atop concrete and glass. Watch the humans creep, puff out their checks, puff out their chests like oryx and gemsbok, slink to their watering holes, turn paroxysmal and spore what they desire, eyes flashing cheetah green, lioness yellow. Here in the Beijing habitat, the treeless plateau, we are purblind with drought-resistant livers, romping on sweet and sour veld, dreaming of succulents like jack of succulent and jackalberry, giraffe heads above acacia, 
water buck in stock. In our fuddle, we confuse alcohol for nectar and drums for thunder, throw up our arms to receive what we believe is benediction. Let me show you what it's like in my home country, the musician from South Africa says, and strums two chords, veld, spore, and there appears the leopard in montane scrub, the caracal in thornbush with tufted ears waiting for who knows what, vulture or good luck. Look at the spying monkeys in the leaves, the wildebeest rearranging dirt beneath its feet, those mongoose starting in for a steal. Suddenly, the night sky opens and down pours light in a hail of heat and rain, summer storm of phosphine and octane. All things become noctilucent. On the dance floor, we see through each other to the thorny aloes of our nerves, ashamed by all that we wanted. We are prospecting through God's window, the impala and baobabs, horns and hands held by weeping love grass. Our deflagrating lust turns meager, then dust. That was Veldspore. Um, people are mentioning that they learn words every poem. Um, do oh. you do a lot of research for your poems? I, that, that's something that maybe strikes me as something you might be doing, is, is reading a lot before you write. Uh, yes. So that one I did have to do a lot of research about the South African Veld. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I think everyone probably does, right? Um, well, I don't know about I that, actually. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Um, everyone would be better off if they did maybe (laughs) (laughs) um it's it's funny uh i because um you know on the road trip that i took the motorbike trip um i had the experience of returning to writing by hand i had a journal uh and um i I really like that experience um i think it's very different when you write by hand um somehow i think you tap into a part of yourself that's uh that that's below below the neck, uh, if that makes sense. Um, whereas if you are in front of your computer, you're always tempted to, for instance, Google or uh, you know, pull up your favorite dictionary app, and uh, and then and then it becomes a different kind of exercise. But anyway, um, the, the the best the best poems, of course, are the ones that you um, that you write from 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 sentiment or from from what you feel if you can tap deep and then you set it aside and you go back and edit with your editor's cap on you know and yeah. all the tools of technology at your disposal oh, well do you want to finish out with uh, growing up with beijing sure um uh last poem growing up with beijing uh this one uh it's got a quote at the start uh from from mao and it reads dig tunnels deep store grain everywhere and never seek hegemony um, or, uh, oh yeah. Okay. So, uh, uh, let me just tell you, uh, so I found that quote in an underground tunnel in Beijing oh, and wow. these tunnels, these tunnels were built in the sixties during the height of, uh, tensions, uh, with, uh, with the USSR. Uh, the threat of nuclear war actually was very real. Um, and, uh, Mao basically commanded people to start digging. And, uh, in fact, a lot of the tunnels built underground, uh, which, uh, very few of them are still exist. A lot of them are sealed up, but a lot of them were just built, um, underneath apartment buildings and such. 
um, that's that's where people can access them anyway. Uh, they were meant to be underground bunkers in case in case of nuclear war. Uh, a, a lot of the city wall. So Beijing had a majestic city wall that was all torn down, uh, and um, a lot of those stones from the walls were actually used on the tunnels. Anyway, um, growing up with Beijing. Our families lived in the shadow of nuclear obliteration. They dug because Mao decreed it. Deeper, harder, before engineers installed airlocks and filters. We lived longhand, planting today what keeps the idea of being alive, alive. Like saving the fat off meat to fry cabbage, then scraping walks to extract seasoning for family stews. The cities we built calloused our hands and slept in our feet. Wondrous labyrinths glowing in tunnels and dink promises, proud if only to know what your pride is worth. You need another language to describe what we cherished, fought and died for, and killed for, waiting in the off hours on dusty curbs for green buses in grit-colored overalls, or pedaling down the avenue of eternal peace, glancing at our savior, thinking we believed. We were too humble to say it out loud. So we learned how to toast, how to walk under fog cover, how to swallow trauma and store it in the basement of tomorrow. Even if by tomorrow, they'd be flooded and sealed up like old grudges. When we realized God, Mao, could die. We performed duty and ablution, looked at our city permanently reconstructed, and did not cry. Our childhoods would live on in street signs, our trees memorialized by restaurants. The old city gates, arrogant and noble, now traffic circles and overpasses. First, let a few grow rich, the new leader said. And then let the trees and memories of persimmons and birds under the eaves return, he applied. Those days before envy, but always forward. No questions of cost, what desecration can buy, how much our identities were written on old walls. We became distracted by skyscrapers, malls, McDonald's. It was no time to let silences speak lecture us about price. We all paid. We knew then what none do now. Only we can obliterate what is ours. Our children never have to know the games we played, what majesties we knew, and hopes were harbored. I was growing up with Beijing. Probably my favorite poem in this collection that you sent us. So I'm so glad you could read it. Thanks for uh, for going over time a little bit to do so. Oh, uh, thank you. Um, just to pass this along, but Cindy uh, Botha here over on YouTube says she's from South Africa, and the Velt poem really rings true, and she um, feels like it was very authentic. So. Um, ah, uh, thank yeah. you, Cindy. Yeah. I don't know if that's something that you worry about or not, but um, but it's always nice to get it right. Yeah, yeah. I worry about it all the time, especially at that journalist training. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very, well, uh, very sure. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for being a guest today. It's been a really pleasure to talk to you. I uh, hope you can be on again sometime. And um, really, thanks. I appreciate it. Uh, th thank you very much. I, I, it was a pleasure. It was all mine.
Yeah. Well, have a good night, Anthony. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Yeah, so there's Anthony Tao. Um, and you can find Anthony at um, his website, which is Anthony Tao, Anthony, T-A-O.com. Also, um, find that Poetry X Music YouTube channel. Subscribe there and, and watch and like those videos. There's another one that just came up uh, that was just released a couple, maybe a week ago. Um, another section from the Coronavirus in China poem. Just a wonderful, and that one, a, a cartoon animated version of um, one of those sections. Just really wonderful. Uh, so I hope you can follow Anthony all the places he goes and check out SubChina too, which is a really fascinating reading. I kind of got, I, I got immersed in that a little bit last night. Um, now is the time for the uh, open lines. And this is how it works. Um, if you haven't yet, email the uh, poem to openmic at rattle.com. That's openmic at rattle.com right now. So I have it. I can show it on screen. You can send a poem um, in a file. Uh, you can send a link if it's, something's published online. And I can just show it that way. Um, but it's nice to, to show it like we were with Anthony uh, when you read the poem. So please do send it if you can ahead of time. Um, and they, they can be any poem you want to share. There is a prompt. Uh, this week's prompt was to write a um, homophone poem. So there's, uh, you know, homophones are words that, uh, that uh, sound the same but are spelled differently and are different words. So, um, so um, that was the prompt. And so if you have uh, poems for the prompt... Please share them now. Email them over to openmicatrattle.com, but, but share anything you'd like. Um, we'd love to hear from you. And once again, email to openmicatrattle.com. Uh, and then what you do is you call me at 818-850-7727. That's the phone number if you'd like to do the phone, uh, voice only. Just let it ring a few times, then hang up. I will call you back when it's your turn. If you'd like to do it over Skype, just send me a chat message like a whole bunch of people already have to Rattle Poetry. That's Rattle Poetry, all one word. Just uh, just send a chat message, say hi. I'll wave back, and then I'll call you up when it's your turn. Uh, we'll make sure we get to every um, first-time caller, um, no matter what, and, um, and we'll get to as many people as we can for the next hour or so, or 50 minutes maybe. Um, now, next week's guest in the Rattlecast, as I stand up and, and stretch a little bit, um, next week's guest is going to be... Oh, you know, I mentioned, uh, we talked, said maybe we'd play the um, other poem of Anthony's. If we have time in the open mic, I'll play that later. Uh, but right now I'm just going to get things set up and take a quick little break and show you that next week's guest is going to be Wendy, Wendy Vidalock. Uh, her newest book is Slingshots and Love Plums. And uh, she's one of my favorite poets. I love her work. Um, she's been in Rattle a whole bunch of times, most recently in Poetry Spawn just a few months ago. Um, she's a poet from Colorado and one of the most unique poets really writing today um, love Wendy Vidalock never met her looking forward to that that is next Tuesday March 16th the regular time 9pm Eastern Rattlecast number 84 with Wendy Vidalock now I'm just going to take a, take a 30 second break stand up and stretch I will be right back back thanks so much for your patience um i just don't like to sit for too long and i have to get logged into all the right stuff now as i mentioned let's see who is on the call list we have terry offner is here good uh, i'll definitely call you terry uh, we didn't get to you last week which is uh, so we'll definitely want to get to you today uh, nivity to karthik is here uh, richard westheimer brent 
we have a 917. We have uh, Caitlin Buxbaum, James Gaynor, Brenda Kamarinsky so far. So if you'd like to join us, um, once again, the numbers are on the screen. I won't say them again, um, but call me up there if you would like to join in. Um, and it's Rattle Poetry over Skype. Someone's calling right now. That's a 614 number. So well, that's a new one. We'll definitely get to that. Now, as I mentioned, um, the prompt this week was uh, here. Let me put it on screen. Uh, homophones, homophones are pairs of words which are pronounced the same way, but have different meanings, such as ball and ball. That's B-A-L-L and B-A-W-L. Write a poem that contains at least one pair of homophones. And uh, my, I'm trying. I'm still trying to write, because um, I love these super short, like micro poems, like um, like Wendy Vidalock does, and like uh, Mike White does. I just love them, and I can't ever write them. So for a long, I've been trying to get some that work. Here's another attempt at a super short poem, um, playing with homophones. This is homophonic, my poem for the week. Very short, and, and at least they're short. That's what uh, that's what uh, Robert Pinsky always says about his translations of uh, the Iliad. At least they're short. Here is uh, my homophonic. Homophonic. The arc of the ants in the arc of your pants, no longer on sale as they sailed through the room, was like a dance, though not tied to the tide, whether the weather was mist or monsoon. So uh, I don't know if that even... I might have to read that twice to even get that. It's just so condensed, but I don't know if it worked. Still, I'm trying to work on this form. And uh, Megan's... Oh, I have last week's poem, too, which I didn't get, get to finish or read, but uh, maybe I'll do that if we have time. We probably won't, but maybe another day I'll do um, the uh, four, uh, what was it, four elements poem. This was Megan's um, poem for the uh, homophones prompt, and uh, see if you can find the homophone here. It's kind of hidden, um, but it's definitely there. Bazooka. This is my bazooka, my young son said and picked up a stick in our front yard, vaguely gun-shaped, twig is trigger, and I wonder where he heard that word, but I also couldn't help saying it out loud. Bazooka, bazooka, one of those words that begged to be said, a bullet-sized song. And then I googled it on my phone while my son hefted his weapon and aimed it at the sun, and I read that the anti-tank rocket launcher was named after comedian-invented musical instrument, which was the weapon which the weapon happened to resemble, which makes sense because they both look ridiculous, and they both sound ridiculous, but we can't help repeating that word, my son and I, bazooka, in giggly chorus, blending together, lilting and howling, a war chant, something close to music. That was Megan's poem, Bazooka. And unlike Megan, I know where that bazooka came from. It came from, uh, we went on a hike and found it in the, uh, in the wash, in the escar- escarpment, <laughs> where uh, the uh, mountain is sliding down to the desert. Now let's see what you have for us. Who, let's do Terry Offner first, because I read his poem last week, but we didn't actually get to see him. So let's call up Terry and see what Terry has for us. Terry, hey, great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, first time appearance, even though we read your great, a really great poem last week. So, so where are you calling from, Terry? Uh, Indianapolis. Ah, and uh, and what do you have for us today? Uh, my father's garden. Is there anything you want to say about it, or just dive right in? Um, it was. Um, it. Uh, I apologize for the length. Uh, it's a little long. 
I'm sure um, it's going to be good, though. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I wrote to uh, the homophone, uh, which is uh, not usually my uh, way of writing. Well, you know, writing to an end. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of like to write to what I I don't know what I'm writing to, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. uh, so it took a couple of tries. Okay, well, I'm looking forward to it. Why don't you go ahead? My father's garden. The yard belonged to my mother. She envisioned the bones of the gardens, the placement of the pond and of the willow, which in time would strum the water's surface with its weeping branches like languorous fingers. She laid out the sweeping curves of the flower beds with a hose, cut out the sod. She planted the tall viburnums and lilacs as definition and backdrop for the lilies, daisies, and those irises with the purple, slipper-like flowers. She planted the apple and the cherry, the grapes and the asparagus, left the mulberry for the birds, and she saved the back corner by the chicken house for my father. He had plans of his own, plans that for the most part involved straight lines and terracotta walkways. There was no competition between them. Said another way, there really was no contest. My father first tried to raise different species of turf grass in separate squares, Kentucky blue, fescues, and bent grass, the kind they use on putting greens. Those grasses did not cooperate. One of them, I believe it was the red fescue, took over until all the squares looked the same. My father despaired in his good-natured way, shook his head in mock disgust, smiled. He was retired, and he needed something to do with his hands while he listened to baseball on his transistor radio. Meanwhile, my mother's gardens thrived. Her main task was keeping the grass out of her beds. Otherwise, she divided mums, filled in bare places, gave the extras away, dug in bulbs for spring color. In time, my father settled on an herb garden. He put in a sundial and planted various varieties of thyme around it, a gardener's pond. The willow has long since died, but the pond and my mother's beds remain. My father's patches of grass get mowed along with the rest of the yard. The sundial stands alone, its nomen tracing the hours and minutes in the sun. Oh, I love that, especially the ending. Thanks so much. That was my father's garden. Uh, Thanks so much for calling and sharing that, Terry. You bet. Have a good night. You too. Yeah, that was My Father's Garden by Terry Uffner. Um, let me do, I see uh, Victoria Garten, Brendan Tricarico. I will definitely have to get to, uh, or Brand, Brenda Tricarico. Definitely have to get to Brenda as a first-time caller. Uh, let me do the, um, um, let's do the other um, first-time caller numbers here. This is a 917. We'll do 917. Then we will do 614. Uh, oh, then we have a Judith. Judith Wang. Oh, there we go. Yeah, great to see you here, Judith. I saw Judith in the uh, chat a bunch of times. And um, 
and then Brenda Tricorico. So we'll do those three at least, then we'll get to um, the rest of uh, all you lovely regulars, uh, Richard Westheimer, Nivedita, etc. Let's call it 917 and see who that is. Hey, this is Tim with Rattle. Do you hear me? Hello. Hello. Did you want to share a poem? You're live on the air. Yes, I would like to. And who am I talking to? Uh, I'm sorry. I who, didn't hear. Who, who am I talking to? Oh, my name is Florence Casson Mayers. Ah, great. I see and, your poem right here. Yeah. Okay. I, I write um, sustenas. This is a homophonic sustena. Excellent. Well, I, I love the looks of this already. So why don't you go ahead and read it? Okay. Apology. I don't mean to be mean when I say what I mean. What I mean is, I don't mean to offend. Don't mean my words to demean. Am I mean? If you think I'm mean, you don't get what I mean. Uh-oh, this is what you mean. Even though I don't mean to be mean, something mean sneaked in. I see what you mean. If what I say seems mean, tell me. I mean to be kind. I mean well. I mean no harm. I mean to help. I mean to help you say what you mean. I mean it. What I mean is, there's no mean streak, not one mean bone. Didn't mean to make you cry. Didn't mean to rush you out the door. Didn't mean to chase you away. I mean what I say. What I mean to say is, say exactly what you mean. Say no words that mean little. I know you mean to be poetic. What does it mean to be poetic? What do you mean? What do I mean? I mean to praise. I never mean to be mean. I never meant my mean to be mean. Oh, that was excellent. I love the way that turns over and over on itself. Thanks so much for sharing that. Um, well, thank you, Tim. I'm glad to do it. Yeah, yeah. I hope you call in again soon. I will. Okay, good night. Good night. Good night. <laughs> Oops. So, uh, yeah, I, I forgot to save the name. That was um, uh, Florence Mayers with Apologies. Or just apology. Thanks so much, Florence, for sharing that. Let me make sure I put you in our phone book so I know who it's calling next time. Um, Abigail Weathers is here. Two. We have a whole bunch of new time new callers. Let's do the six one four. See who that is. Oh, that was Judith. Okay, let's do Judith um, over Skype. Then that's much better. Hey, Judith, are you there? Yeah, so glad you could join us. Yeah, we see and hear you perfectly. Um, so are you in China? Okay, great. I see the sun. So, so where, where are you calling from? Do you have my from? call? Um, I'll, I'll, I'm calling from I'll, Australia. Oh, you're from Australia. Excellent. Um, and let uh, me... Yeah, I'm originally from Singapore, but I actually know all the Spittoon people from China because I was there when uh, the, the entire thing started. Yeah. <laughs> oh, great. And so you have ants for us. Yeah. Yes, I do. Um, should I... 
so I have it um, up on the screen, and I can read it. Yeah, you'll have to um, pull... just tell me whenever. Uh, yeah, I'll put it right. up for everybody at home. You have to read your own copy. I can't put it on the screen for you. Yeah, I'll read my own copy. Yeah, no yeah. Okay, let yeah. me uh, let me just put it in a document so we don't give everybody your email address. Here we go. Okay, okay. so this is Anne. Is there anything you want to say about it before you read? Um, am I on the air now? Yeah. Oh, you're live on the air. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I've been live already. <laughs> okay. You have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, hello, Spittoon people. I miss you. Um, uh, I'm in Australia. And uh, Anne's has actually written about Singapore. I wrote it um, like when I arrived back in Singapore, which is my you know hometown, um, after I'd been in China. So that's the background for it. And the ants are, I guess, a conceit. Excellent. And there's definitely homophonic stuff going on in there with the word ants. Well, that is that is perfect. Let's, yeah. Well, let's hear it. Go ahead yeah, whenever you're so. ready. Okay. All right. Here we go. Ants by Judith Huang. The first thing you notice about this place is the ants. Ants on the walls. Ants on the floor. Ants on the ceiling, between the cracks, between the lights. Ants in the kitchen. Ants in the dining room. Ants in the living room. Ants in the bedroom. Ants on the flowers you pick. Ants on the cup you put down. Ants on the soles of your slippers, ants on the seat of your chair, ants on your arm when you lean against a tree, ants, reddish-brown, tiny as a full stop with tinier feelers, ants in a line bringing reinforcements, ants mooling around a puddle, feeling it out, and then winding around it, ants, 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 the ever-present soldiers of rot, of decay, of furor, of the ever-looming, ever-present, near-ubiquity of death. The death of an evening, the death of a week, the death of a year of Mondays through Sundays, the death of you, the death of me, the death of the forest, the death of the city. Ants, heading a pity party, daisy chain, hailing the fact that everything's rotting, quickly so quickly, in the fulsome decay of the tropical sun. Bury your grandma, and within a minute you can be sure she's a feast. She's a feast, uh, a feast of her eyes, her ears, her nose, her hair, ants at her neck, ants at her throat, ants on her tongue, ants in her vagina, ants knocking at the unlockable door of her teeth. Nothing stays, not the condos, not the semi-Ds, not the bungalows, not the HDBs. Everything is one fecund, rotting, shifting, collapsing thing. Ants move in and build a nest. They knock down and they build up. They are building museums one day and catacombs the next. They are building MRT lines, they are building library skyscrapers, they are building roads that lead nowhere and everywhere at once. They are building shopping mall after shopping shopping mall. They are building hipster coffee shops, they are building sky gardens, they are building infinity pools, they are building Lego sets, they are building simulated high-tech brickneck metropolises, they are building high-end luxury villas for the billionaires of the world to unite in the carefully constructed tax havens of the cove. Ants, everywhere ants. They are tearing them down. They are going to town. They are knocking down schools. They are tunneling through libraries. They are demolishing skyscrapers to make room for even higher towers of glass bridged by bridges of glass. They are unearthing your ancestors to build high-rises on the wounded, exhumed lands of the dead. O restless land, heaving with the absolute biomass of ants, 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 building your carefully commissioned babies, new cribs in the sky, 
building a sky-high fantasy eye to eye your sky as it wheels by. Ants eating away at the prophecy of the old man, tearing away at his legacy to make it even more perfect, more cunning, more insidious than ever before. Ants working to put together the labels on museums, the programs of, for concert pianists, how it would be legato in this era and staccato the next, determining which species of trees will grow on the sides of the roads in robust and cacophonous harmony. Ants laboring to the rhythm of the silent obese queen, issuing orders through pneumatic pipelines. Ants on my bed feeding the gifted with royal jelly, keeping the drones in the amniotic sacs even as poets emerge in full chorus on cue in your third generation. Ah, ants, you have crawled over my crevices, you have exhumed my graves, you have stopped up my banana ghosts, wafting like frenzy penny hosts in the middle of a wet petal. Every damn where, ants, what have you done with my grandma? All you've left of her sweet old face is brittle bone, the hole where her nose used to be, the hole where her lips used to be, the hole where the head of my father first emerged into this world, obliterating all love of and knowledge of history with the hard, forgetting light of life. Ah yes, ants, tap dancing on the way to infinity on a closed loop with no possible feedback. Ants in the musical of the life of our founder, the founder of the colony, the founder of the party, the founder of every last drip and drop of our nether end. Ants, saying nothing or original, only a soup of letters to feed us pat to the embryos that hatch every year into batches of prepaid, preconceived dots, joined to jots, joined to dots, that are our offspring, that are our past and our present and our future, a blank after blank of ants after ants after ants. Ah, uh, doyens of recycling, multitude of multitudes, ants from end to end to end, beginning at the very moment of the end, poised on the cusp of every last future, zigzagging around this and then that corner of the world, sending scouts out and then flooding in armadas of puny, tiny, heavy lifting champions. Ah, yes, we are ants flying in pairs on the wings of love to an inevitable descent by the moon of the fluorescent light waiting for our chance to replenish the genetic stock of the colony. We are ants, sniffing out the trail of opportunity, the chemical trail left by ants of yore. We are ants, never resting, never sleeping, questing continually on our equatorial island for the very edges of time, stretching its form to the limits of regularity, building to the very edge of space. And when we have flown beyond our inevitable tower, a satellite fixing its gaze upon the pinpoint of our origin, may we look back and gasp and see on the swarming dot of our land the heaving mass of ants, ants, ants. Oh, thanks for sharing that. That was a lot of fun. Uh, that was ants. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, was. that was it. Yeah, ants by Judith Wang. Thanks so much for joining us from Australia, Judith. Always a, a pleasure and hope you can, can call in again soon. Yeah, sure. Thank you. <laughs> yep, bye. Yeah, that was uh, Judith Huang. You can find her at Judith, J-U-D-I-T-H, Huang, H-U-A-N-G dot com. Um, let us see who is next. We have Abigail Weathers um, and Brenda Tricorico. So we'll do Brenda first, then Abigail, then maybe drop down to Caitlin. We haven't seen Caitlin in a while, uh, but let's do Brenda next. Hey, Brenda, you're live on the air. Uh, how you doing? I'm good. I'm trying to find you. Uh, there <laughs> oh, you there go. I am. 
Okay. Hi. Yeah, here you come. Hello. Um, let me. Did you email me a poem? Yes, I did. Okay. Let me it's try right to. Right down Marcy, though. Okay. Let me. Um. Let's see. Yeah, I don't have it. Do you want to just read it? Oops. Um. Okay. Uh. Or do you want me to call you back in a couple of minutes? <laughs> okay. So can I just read it? Yeah. Why don't you just go ahead and read it? Yeah. Okay. This is called Postcards and Place Between the Two. Dearest S, even though you're attracted to bridges and I prefer the ferry, I posted my movie star cleavage when you promised to love a good love story. But exposure and contrast are more than just props, and your plot is on Staten Island, and my novel is in the Bronx. So with just a buzzing for company, I throw my voice at the horizon. Dear B, only sirens push through the stone of pandemic. So memorize me if I don't turn up. How was I supposed to know that to the racket of echoes, I was a broken window? Dear S, have I told you I sleep alone to dodge nosy mind readers? Will my transparency bore you? Or will you nag me with what's wrong until I shrug? Who should know better than you? P.S. I've been warned that my fickle soul will never settle on a mate that she's saving herself for the night she would leave my body. Dear B, the sky takes a breath in mid-sentence as the tired moon rests in the hand of a cloud. I take the temperature of the empty street and dip my fingers into disinfectant. Where are you? Dear S, my last romance died on the telephone, but that's not the reason I won't answer. Will our consonants electrocute us? Will our moans bleed out, drawn into the limp hum of strangers? Dear B, I still water Mama and the travelers. Their good intentions keep me up. How was I supposed to know if I threw stones at the dead, their markers would grow into monuments? It's true that my altar looks like a cemetery, headshots of loved ones and their buried regret. When we meet, I'll be the one with fake dahlias glued to my mask. P.S. The decomposition of grief hardly stinks at all. Dear P.S. Hardly stinks. Don't stalk TikToks from way back and past that. Don't stack the clock against me and shift from now to then. Don't hoard time crumbs and drop them in my lap. Wait. Wait for me to wind back up. Dear wind me up, I marvel when I close my eyes and poof, the darkness brightens according to the lid tight of my shut eye. When I let go of my time props, will I fly? Dear fly to me, yes, but always carry a spare set of wings for just in case. In the meantime, practice breathing on tiptoe, thaw the stick of your neck, and calm this hell-raising sickness. Thanks. Excellent. Thanks so much for sharing that. That was uh, Brendan Tricorico and... Um, Morrissey. Brenda Morrissey. Oh, Brendan Morrissey. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Brendan Morrissey. And uh, what was the name of that poem again? Um, postcards <laughs> in Place Between the Two. Postcards in Place. Yeah, I loved it. Great reading, too. Thanks so much for sharing that. Thank you. Okay. Yep. Good night. Bye. Bye. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's see. Next up, let's do, uh, let's call Abigail Weathers. We also have, 
Victoria Garten. Let's see. Trying to make sure we get to all the first-time callers. I don't think we've talked to Abigail Weathers before. Let, let, me, let me see in a second. We'll see. Abigail, hello. Hey. Hi. How yeah. are you? I'm good. You were live. Let me uh, just fix your fix your camera. Side. There we go. So let you're live on the air. Phone. Yeah. So where are you calling from? Awesome. I'm calling from Beijing. Oh, great. Are you, are you part of the Spittoon group, too? I am. Um, so I know Anthony very well. Um, so I was very happy to catch this this interview with him. Very great. And um, what do you have yeah. to share for us with us tonight? Uh, 1 a.m. I see. Um, I have a poem called Yes, 1 a.m. Um, and uh, just very brief. Um, I so I have um, so I'm a part of the Spittoon Collective, and I actually um, co-run um, our poetry workshop. So I was supposed to be working on a poem for that to present there, but then uh, some other circumstances uh, outside my house um, diverted my attention. So that's kind of what this poem is about. Okay, um, cool. So this is, yeah, so this is 1 a.m. Some poor soul outside is coming to grips with time and space, ayo. Suddenly, the night's no longer peripheral, as up and down the slumbering street, a slow-motion ricochet stumbles majestically off-beat. Or anti-beat, really, the long pause, and a drunk's sforzando existentially percuss on randomized loops. Were he here with us, Mr. Cage might well be inspired to take pen to page and write nothing at all. Genius is rarely understood, and here my midnight companion waltzes before the rest to the lonely hour, waltzes and makes the practice appear spontaneous with smooth steps and lithe transitions, ostensibly gained from years of dearly bought lessons. Waltzes on at last, as even drunks have schedules to keep, and we, momentary three, disintegrate the audience, the drunk, and the slumbering street. Excellent poem. Love the internal rhymes there Thank and you. stuff. It's a, definitely a Thank great, you. obviously a great group that uh, goes out at the spittoon there. <laughs> Thanks so much. I'm so glad we can get a yeah. few people Thank to so uh, yeah, join us. Thanks. Yeah. Cool. Bye. Awesome. Yeah, there was um, Abigail Weathers uh, from Beijing as well. Now let's call up um, a Tony Hoagland poem. Let's, let's, uh, let's do that. I always do like to have other poems, uh, you know, favorite poems, as well as poems you wrote yourself for these open lines. Hello. Hey, James, how are you doing tonight? You're live on the air. Oh, Tim, hi. Yeah. Well, I have a poem I would like to share. Yeah, uh, sure. By Tony, by Tony Hoagland, and I was very touched. Uh, uh, Anthony Tao mentioned uh, him uh, in the in your interview. Uh yeah, he was he one of the, just an amazing poet and, and died so suddenly and so unexpectedly, really, I guess. I mean, everybody I know was shocked, uh, didn't even know he was yeah. sick. And then, yeah. I actually, well, I, one of the reasons I'm, I'm reading it is that it's sort of in his honor. He was very, very kind to me. Uh, and I have a great story about him I'll share with you at some point. But this is called Fetch by Tony Hoagland. And ever since I've read it, I've kept it up on my laptop. Uh, desktop. Okay, great. Yeah, go ahead. I have it up for everybody, so go ahead and read it whenever you're, you're ready. Okay. Who knew 
that the sweetest pleasure of my 58th year would turn out to be my friendship with the dog, that his trembling, bow-legged bliss at seeing me stand there with the leash would give me a feeling I had sought throughout my life. Now I understand those old ladies walking their chihuahuas in the dusk, plastic bag wrapped around one hand, content with a companionship that, whatever else you think of it, is totally reliable. And in the evening, at cocktail hour, I think tenderly of them in all those apartments on the 14th floor, holding out a little hot dog on a toothpick to bestow a luxury on a friend who knows more about the uncomplicated pleasure than any famous lobbyist for the mortal condition. These barricades and bulwarks against human loneliness, they used to fill me with disdain, but that was before I found out my metaphysical needs could so easily be met by the wet gaze of a brown and white retriever with a slight infection of the outer ear and a tail like a windshield wiper. I did not guess that love would be returned to me as simply as a stick returned when it was thrown again and again and again. In fact, I still don't exactly comprehend what could that possibly have to teach me about being human? Excellent. That was James Gaynor reading Tony Hoagland's poem, Fetch, um, a quintessential Tony Hoagland poem. Uh, what is it specifically about that poem that, uh, that you love so much, James? Um, I live with a, uh, a dog uh, who came to sort of adopted me. She's a sort of combination Shih Tzu and Wolf in her own mind, and she's named <laughs> Emily Dickinson. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> And uh, Tony Hoagland is just, he's, he's a poet who has spoken to me in so many different poems and his essays. And uh, he, he was, as I said, he was, he was very kind to me personally. So I, I just, I wanted to read this in his honor. Excellent. Well, thanks so much, James. I'm so glad you did. Thank you very much, Tim. Yep. Good night. Good night. That was James Gaynor. Um, and Caitlin Buxbone. Let's call Caitlin. Has to leave in five minutes or so. She hasn't been out in a while. Let's call up Caitlin. We have like we have like ten or fifteen minutes left. Let's see. Here she is. Oh. Hey, Caitlin. How are you doing tonight? Good. I'm on my phone again, so I'm trying <laughs> to remember how to do all the things. Okay. Hope you're coming in. There you are. You? Yeah. Okay. Hello. Um. Yeah. Great interview. Great people. I've already connected with a few. Um, from the chat. So hooray for that. Yeah, that's always great. That's always a highlight. You know what we hope to have happen with these kind of these kind of episodes. Uh, let me find your poem. Where is it? There it is. Um, so anything you want to say about about your you sent the elemental one, right? Yeah, so I actually did end up writing a homophone one, but it was really bad. <laughs> it was on a day where I was just like nothing was coming to me. But I liked this poem and I didn't get to read it last week because I was at work. Um, mm-hmm since the Rattlecast was earlier. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. And I forgot about that. And <laughs> I was just like, oh, dang it. Um, so, yeah, um, probably no one will know what this is about, um, but that's okay. They can <laughs> think whatever they want to think. Great. Well, let's, let's hear it. This is Elemental, Caitlin M.S. Buxbaum. Okay. Elemental. We are the Earth. Each of us a continent, adrift, on a journey to find fresh water, 
quench the parched terrain of our throats and minds. Drink up the sight of us, flowing through this artery into the open ocean of unexpected, for a breath of the precious outside air, riddled with snow and now laughter. Watch us pause, find our footing where other feet have tread but not with such explicit purpose, and return to the dull fluorescence from whence we came. Learn from these flushed cheeks and fingers on fire from the cold, which maybe makes us more receptive to this warmth, more grateful for these walls, more a part of each other's earth. Excellent. I love the atmospheric mood of that, even though I don't know what it's about either. <laughs> But um, yeah, thanks for that. And I love the the way too the the elements like pull through with sort of really good lines in the poem. It worked out really well. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Caitlin. Have a good night. Yeah, you too. Bye. Yes, that was Caitlin Buxbaum with Elemental. Uh, we're running up on time, but let me see. We had Abigail. We probably have time for two more people. Um, let's see. We did. 23rd. I'm trying to see who we haven't had in the most recent episodes. Richard, we had Sunday. Um, okay, let me do... Let's call up... If we have time, we'll do Richard. Um, let's see if Brent... I don't know if Brent's... Brent was on last week. Let's do Brent. Yeah, so what we'll do is we'll do... Um, oh, Brandy Kamarinsky. She hasn't been on. Okay, so this is what we'll do. Sorry, everybody. Just got to figure out what we have time for. We'll do Victoria Garten and then Brenda Kamarinsky, both of whom haven't been on in a while. So let's call it Victoria right now. Hello. Hello, Victoria. You're live on the air. Uh, do you have a poem for us? Yes, I have a poem called Homophones, a lesson plan that I've sent to you. Excellent. Yeah, I have it right here. Do you want to do you want to introduce it at all, or, or do you just want to okay. dive right in? Um, okay, I'll uh, um, yeah, I'll introduce it a little bit. Let me put this over here. I don't know if you can pick me up or not. Uh, yeah, um, you sound a little far away now, and, and I have the volume. There you go. Okay. That I've taught. So uh, it's called Homophones. Uh, uh, that I've taught at a community college here in southwest Missouri. Homophones, a lesson plan. There. Where? There. Adverb. You're late. Sit here. Hear about homophones. Bottles on desk. Students at desk. Their bottles. Their desk. Possessive. E-I-R. Got it? Their bottles. Contradictions. Contractions are a privilege. They hurry speech, two words or more as one, a little statement, they are, there, don't tell where, or who know, owns what. Use it for those, you lose it for this semester. See yourself at the pool hall. Hiram says, rack them up. You reply, they are ready for play. At the roadhouse, drinks all around. You reply, they are. They are coming. Take 13 curves to the badass ball. No one will ball at mangled homophones. Bear your ass at the strip pits party. 
bear coming out of the woods won't ID as homophones. Some places nobody cares, but here in this classroom, there has a cousin where. There has to have something or someone that belongs to them. And there is always two words, they and are. Excellent lesson. Thanks so much. Homophones. Yeah, thanks so much. A lesson plan. <laughs> thanks so much. Yeah, that was a great lesson and, um, and very useful. Thanks so much for sharing that, Victoria. Um, let's see. So last caller, because we are up at 8 o'clock. Um, the last caller, who did I say it was going to be? Oh, Brenda Kamarinsky. Yeah, we haven't had Brenda in a month. That was right. Let's see what Brenda has for us to close us out. Oh, and uh, hey, Brenda, how you doing tonight? Good. Very good. Um, so uh, I, I have my little poem here. It's a short one. Um, just real quick of how it came to be. Uh, I usually for the um, Poets Respond on Sunday, I, I listen in my car. Mm-hmm. And uh, so a few weeks ago, we had Clemence Hurd had his lovely um, Stresses Live in Texas poem. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm listening to you, to, you know, and you gave his website, and you very nicely spelled out Clemence, but then you said, and Hurd is just like Hurd. And I, oh, that's I, right. I there are multiple going, <laughs> I didn't think of well, that. Well, there's Hurd and there's Hurd. You're right. <laughs> so, and then this uh, uh, prompt comes up, and I'm like, oh, and well, when you can do Hurd, you got to do Hurd immunity. And the poem kind of writes itself. Excellent. Well, let's hear it. So it's called Pandemic Ending. Hey, have you heard? We are all one big herd. We're sheep, hard of hearing here. It's not just me hopped up on hope. I'll see you at the sea when we get our immunity. Oh, that was excellent. I love little poems. Thanks so much for sharing that, Brenda. Yeah. Well, thank you for inspiring it. <laughs> yeah, my pleasure. And, and Clemence is heard, H-E-A-R-D. There's a, yeah. the, the A in there. Yes, I, I did look it up afterwards. <laughs> yeah, great. Well, thanks so much, Brenda. Thanks. Yep, good night. Good night. Okay. Unfortunately, that has to be all for the show tonight. Thanks, everybody, who uh, joined in, as always. If you uh, had a poem that you had ready to go this week, uh, feel free to share it next week. We're really loose on these open lines. So um, if you want to save it for next week, feel free to call in next week. Uh, we do have to get going. Now, next week's guest on the Rattlecast, like I said, is going to be Wendy Vitalock. Oh, but before I do that, of course, hang on a second. Before I do that, I have to tell you the prompt. The prompt is a short one next week. The prompt for next week is right here, Oops. right here. Give your poem a utopian or dystopian setting. So write a utopian or dystopian setting. That is your prompt for next week. Pretty short one-liner prompt. Write a utopian or a dystopian poem. And uh, that's next week's prompt. Always chosen by Megan or invented by Megan. And... Um, I will write a poem. Megan will write a poem. You will write a poem, hopefully, because that's what uh, makes this a whole lot of fun. And we'll be having an episode with Wendy Vidalock next Tuesday, March 16th. As I mentioned, Wendy Vidalock is the author of a whole bunch of poems. I mean, a whole bunch of books. Uh, Her most recent is Slingshots and Love Plums. She also has um, the um, Nevertheless Hello and the new one. I can't remember. GNU. I can't remember the whole title of that one. But Wendy Vilek's one of my favorite poets. We've published her a whole bunch of times. Um, she writes, as you know, look through Rattle. She writes uh, short, 
mostly um, very rhyming and rhythmic poems. Um, she also does her own artwork. So this is a uh, watercolor paintings in the cover. What do you like? Very interesting person. Really excited for this episode. Rattlecast number 84, Tuesday, March 16th, 9 p.m. Eastern, like always. Hope to see you then and hope you have a good night. Good night. <laughs>